For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of Greenlit. Today I'm chatting with producer Rob Barnum. Rob's produced a number of projects with Bondit over the years, including On the Line with Mel Gibson, Ida Red, Body Brokers, Night Hunter, and The Con is On with Uma Thurman, which was one of the first larger projects Bondit worked on five or six years ago. Rob's a pretty exciting independent producer, having ridden multiple waves of the independent film movement over the last 20 years or so. Rob is a hands-on producer, dealing both with cast as well as logistics on set, but also has a really great mind around all things distribution and finance. Whether working with Megan Ellison and her company Annapurna on projects like Zero Dark Thirty, The Master and Her, to the wave of projects like Margin Call that really broke out at Sundance and were some of the last projects before the streaming movement took control of the independent film sector. So without further ado, enjoy this episode of my discussion with Rob Barnum. Rob, thanks for taking the time, dude. Hey, my pleasure. Nice to be here. So I'm going to let you sort of set a bit of the stage. I know we've worked together a bunch over the years and known each other for the better part of the time I've, I've even been in the business for the last 10 or 12 years. And by the time we connected, you had already had things up and running for, for quite some time and had a, a pretty great reputation, certainly in the independent space, even with some of the bigger independent companies that were being built out at that time. But maybe just for the listeners to set the table a bit, just a 30,000 foot view on you and how you got into the business and what was sort of that, that first project getting up and off the ground that, that really made, made the way forward. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, actually, you know, I got into the business originally as a writer um, hmm. and I, uh, due to other people's, you know, bad taste and my good fortune option to screenplay away when I was 21. Um, and, you know, thought for sure I was like the next Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, you know, it was, it was all, it was all happening. <laughs> and um you know that movie never got made but uh we had various times at one point we had like mark ruffalo attached you know this was you know mind you this is like 2005 right it's a while ago and brian cox but no one ever got the movie made and but yeah so you know i just started coming out of college i just started going to film festivals and meeting as many people as i could crashing parties and just networking and and um you know, manage actually, you know, sync up with a couple of guys, um, Sharam Das and Kevin Frakes uh, from Palm Star Entertainment way back then. And, you know, and then, you know, coming out of the Silicon Valley world, which was my background pre-film, like I was a, one of those college tech guys, um, we started a, a distribution company trying to do day and date distribution um, well before it was anyone's good idea. Um, yep. And so the company was called Anywhere Road. We did a lot of movies with Red Envelope, which I don't know if you remember, but it yeah, was- Yeah, it was the, the Netflix releasing. Right, yeah, Netflix's distribution arm. And, um, and you know, that was back when Netflix paid you like 50 cents per turn every time mm -hmm. somebody ordered a DVD, well, you know, before streaming. So, you know, that was cool. And we did that for a few years until I realized that like, 
aggregating content, I didn't really have that much of a, a passion for any of the movies that we were actually distributing. So we sold that company uh, to Echo Bridge. Um, hmm. I don't even know if they're around anymore. And, yeah, um, yeah, I hear their name. I think from from time to time. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like DVD time, right? Yeah. this is very nascent streaming, well before this world that we now live in, right? And so, from there, I kind of went into producing, um, and uh, was very fortunate that one of my early films was Margin Call, which, yeah. um, you know, ironically uh, is having a, a new a resurgence recently as the banking the industry. The world melts. <laughs> yeah, it's like, did we learn nothing? Um, yeah, and. Uh, but, you know, even the funny thing with Margin Call, we had that amazing cast and uh, and like in the number of people who were attached to it that you know, weren't in the final version just because of scheduling. I mean, you, you had Ben Kingsley at one point. You had, um, uh, uh, oh, shit, I'm blanking on his name. Tim, um, you know, Bull Durham, Tim. Uh, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, thank you. Um, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, Uma Thurman. I mean, it was a, there was just a lot of different people. Uh, Carla Cugino. So, I mean, obviously the script spoke to to actors, but you know, we actually, you know, we got that into Sundance as like you know, Cassie and Elway's kind of pushing it through. Mm. It was um, we weren't in competition. It was you know a premiere, and then they gave us like a Tuesday premiere, if, if I remember correctly, of the second week. <laughs> It was like not when you want to be trying to sell a movie. So we actually yeah. do a buyer screening, not like the Eccles premiere or whatever, on the first Saturday while people were still in town. And uh, yeah, you know, and I yeah, like really, you know, not a lot of people wanted it. It came down to it was um, uh, we were dealing with that. It was it was Schumann back when he was at Sony. I think it was yeah Sony, but not classics. Um, and then obviously Roadside Attraction. Um, and so anyway, and you know, roadside ended up, you know, acquiring the film. And then we had like the greatest viral marketing campaign of all time, which was Occupy Wall Street. Right. And we laugh because like that movie very easily could have been just another one of the hundreds yeah. of films that are released day and date. And nobody would have, you know, maybe people would have noticed, but like, the timing of releasing that movie when Occupy Wall Street happened, it was for a while there the largest grossing day and day uh, film of all mm. time. I think um, it got surpassed by that Richard Gere film. Uh, oh yeah, Collateral. Not Collateral. The, it was the other banking one. Um, a few years later. Yeah, uh, I know which one you're talking about. Um, Kevin Turin produced it. Uh, Rob, for, for a second, just to go back just for a moment, how did the, I know J.C. Chandler, obviously you, you worked with him again on All Is Lost. How did that, how did Margin Call come to you guys? And in, in what stage was it when, by the time you, you had read it? And did it read like it was going to be just unbelievable? So when I got it, I got it from Cassian. Okay. When he was, at, he had just left William Morris and he'd set up shop over at Untitled. Uh, he had a desk there. And somebody, a mutual friend had said, you and Cassian would make an interesting team. And of course, we ended up having a partnership for years. But um, but when I went and I met with him and, you know, um, he slid me this script, which, you know, Zach Quinto was a client um, and it was his production company before the door. And at the time they had Zach and, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That was the okay. 
And Zach was actually going to play the Simon Baker role at that point. And Joe was going to play Zach's role. Um, and I had taken it to Michael Bennett Roya, who I had known his dad through my Silicon Valley world. And, you know, he had reached out today, you know, my son's getting into film financing. And, and it was funny because Mike had actually seen the project from UTA and had passed. Um, so his poor head of development, um, you know, had some real egg on his face when it went on to become an Oscar nominated screenplay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that early version of the script, I mean, it was pretty much what we shot other than like, there were some of the bigger monologues like the, right. uh, like, you know, the Jeremy Irons monologue at the end of the movie. Uh, that was not in the original script. Uh, and then Bettany, Paul, you know, there were a couple of things written for actors, right? Like as the cast built, you just, you wanted to, you know, give some juice to it. And JC sure. was obviously incredibly talented. And, and you know, one of the things that I love about JC, and when you look at all of his movies, but specifically those two, Margin Call and All is Lost, is as a filmmaker, he really embraces that, like, you don't need backstory, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the big criticisms of Margin Call was we don't know anything about these guys. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we just have this 24 hour, like who's got a wife, who's got a kid, who, you know, all this stuff. Like you get sure. some of PC's life, but you know, and obviously in all his loss, you have no context for why Robert Redford is lost at sea, right? right. But as a storytelling, uh, you know, mantra or whatever, JC, you know, his, his point is you don't need it. Like you need to care about the person in this moment, right? what's happening to them in this moment. And I think it's a really cool way of, of um, telling a story. Right. And like, I, you know, I just shot this movie called Kalahari with yeah. Ryan Philippi and um, Emil Hirsch. And it's like the plane crash in the Kalahari desert and lions versus man. And one of the notes on that was like, well, we don't know anything about these people. Like give us some more background. And you're like, but do you need to really know their whole life story to understand sure. that like, they're trying to survive? Right. And so I think it's a, it's a fascinating thing to look at, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so with, with, with margin call, was it immediately after Sundance, you knew it was going to be a hit or it took some time to snowball with, like you said, things like Occupy Wall Street and then the, the momentum of the movie built, but it was sort of pre streaming, flattening the industry in many ways and pre really social media being this incredible megaphone. Yeah, their social media was there, but it wasn't this incredible micro-targeting or this ridiculous amplification that it is now. What totally. was the moment or or series of moments that made that movie become? Because I remember, I, look, I remember obviously entering the business and that movie was a very big deal. Um, like it was, it was everywhere. It, it just felt like one of those independent movies that everybody knew and it was really this sort of lighthouse if you will of people coming into the business in terms of where you wanted to point ship to what you yeah. wanted to be wanted to be making yeah you know it, it, it was it actually really it wasn't until the movie was released to be honest like it was you mm -hmm. know we sold it it was a couple of weeks after Sundance by the time the deal got done it wasn't a big splashy 20 million dollar acquisition um and it was just, you know, marketing campaigns and fighting over posters. And, you know, we, we went to Berlin right afterwards, which was pretty cool um, to have the movie in Berlin um, and getting to watch Jeremy Irons dance in a nightclub one night. That was yeah. um, And uh, I mean, you know, it was such a cool, you know, given the size of the cast, which was both a big cast, but a very intimate cast and the way we shot the film, 
there were no trailers or anything. We used the executive offices on the 41st floor of One Penn Plaza where we where we filmed. And it had a very theater vibe to it. Like everyone was <clears> just kind of hanging out. And then so we did Sundance, we did Berlin. And so it was special in that sense, real like bonding experience for everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really, you know, again, it was like Occupy Wall Street, the greatest, you know, viral marketing campaign in history. I mean, you know, tip of the hat to Lionsgate. <laughs> um, right. Figuring that out. But so there was a bit of luck. And, you know, it's the funny thing, I, you know, about our business is the luck factor, right? I always say yeah. somebody yeah. had their movie released the first weekend after September 11th, right? <laughs> and, you know, obviously it tanked and nobody was going out anywhere, right? Yeah. So there is a, a randomness to the success of a movie, I think sometimes, right? Where it's like independent movies, right? Not like Marvel or what have sure. you. Right? Sure, sure. But like, there's so many factors that you, you know, there's no model to back that into, right? Right. You know? um, and, and in the, you know, like external life events, again, like Margin Call could have come and gone and been like a really compelling story, but then Occupy made it zeitgeisty, you know? Right. And, um, and again, even now it's like, People, you know, with the current banking situation, you know, people are watching it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And and Rob, the what was the through line then going from margin call into all is lost? How did that come about? Was the relationship then just so established with JC and was was again? I know we'll get into some of the Annapurna stuff and various companies that you've worked with along the, the way. Just walk me through how that line got thread between those movies because they were they were pretty close back to back, if I remember. And I remember actually seeing all was lost in a screening in can i don't even know what year that was um, well, and just being totally blown away by it um i was i was really early to the business and it, i just couldn't believe there's almost no spoken word there might actually be no spoken words right and it's just unbelievably good um but what was walk us through that through line in terms of how a to b yeah so it, it, it's actually funny it goes back to when we wrapped on margin call we were sitting on the roof of uh, Washington Square's office, they had this roof deck in New York, and having a drink, and you know, it was me, Neil, Neil Dodson, and and uh, JC, and JC made a joke about how the next script that he writes is going to have one fucking actor, and we we laughed. We were like, oh, of course, because the scheduling was such a nightmare. You know, we shot Margin Call in three six day weeks. Um, I mean, it was it was to yeah. fit all those actors in, and the budget that we had it was only a three million dollar film. It's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. Like that works for you know a low budget action movie, but that's really hard to think you shot that movie like that. Yeah, but it was great because like you know we were shooting all nights because the you know it was a fishbowl, right. you, you know, there, right. and so it kind of worked that everyone really was exhausted, right? It, it mm-hmm. sort of you know, in the movie they're supposed to have been an all nighter, and we were doing these all nighters where everyone was like you know dropping lines, everyone was just dead tired, and. um but yeah, so anyway, so he makes this joke and um, and I was getting ready. Uh, so Michael Benaroy and I were working on putting together this film, Lawless. <laughs> and we ran into some financial difficulties with the timing of things and pre-sales. And that's when Megan Ellison had come in as, in sort of a, a hero moment to co-finance with Mike. And she put up, you know, a sizable amount of the budget. And, and uh, again, you know, ironically, I met, Megan through the same guy Curtis Feeney who was sort of my Silicon Valley mentor and that's how I knew Mike's dad so uh, and then Megan's mom was his next door neighbor and so that's how we met her and she was just getting ready to start Annapurna 
Got she it. had a team around her and we just really bonded in making Lawless. And that's where I actually formally sort of joined Annapurna there for a minute. Um, and what year, Rob? When was that? 2012? Okay. 13? I don't know. Okay. We're getting old, man. That's the problem. I don't mean, you know, all the years. But, but, but I think I think the interesting thing is like streaming hadn't still yet gone you know, full in, right? There was still this right. this window yeah. of like, because that, that's another really, really great movie, right? Tom Hardy, Shia. That is a really impressive movie. Um, did you end up not having to pre-sell the, the heck out of that thing? Like you were able to make yeah. it mostly with... We only pre-sold uh, Canada, um, and um, I think it was E1 bought it, but yeah, that was the only pre-sale. Glenn Basner was doing foreign on that, and then, and yes, and then of course Weinstein Company bought the movie. Um, and was it of, was was not to cut you off? Was Glenn Filmation then, or Filmation wasn't even a thing yet? It was. No, he, okay. yeah, Jay, it was fairly nascent though. It was relatively. Yeah. Harvey bought the movie off a trailer in Cannes. It was a sort of crazy three-day, you know, David Glasser and I in the office until four or five o'clock in the morning, sort of crazy, you know, event. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, it was around that time that I was doing, at the, at the end of Lawless, and I was talking to Megan about joining up with her, that JC had sent me the script for All Is Lost. And so initially Megan and I had talked about kind of like she'd have her big P.T. Anderson and Catherine Bigelow movies. And then we'd have sort of an independent slate and like All Is Lost was one of them. There's some great movies. Seven Psychopaths was one of them. Mm. If you remember that mm. film. I do. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, so we had this like smaller slate of movies and then like, you know, her and, you know, and again, um, you know, Spike Jones and, and those films. And Anyway, it's sort of just from a bandwidth standpoint, it didn't work out to run the two companies and in parallel. And so I eventually, you know, exited to go back to being a, you know, a grinder. <laughs> yeah. But only because like, you know, they're like all those filmmakers, they have their producers, right? And so yeah. you had Megan and you, and you had that. And and I just didn't really, you know, want to be an executive. I, you know, that was just not the right fit for me. And, but, you know, she built something incredibly impressive. Um, and uh, so I was there for the first couple of films, you know, uh, The Master and uh, mm. Zero Dark Thirty and just the beginning of her. Um, but anyway, along that, yeah, that time, you know, so we were going to do All is Lost at Annapurna. And then, you know, we segued out and uh, ended up having Glenn do foreign sales. And we had some equity lined up from Teddy Schwartzman and... Um, and from uh, Justin Nappy. And mm -hmm. it ended up that Glenn went to Berlin with it and Universal came in and just said, we'll take everything on international. And then Lionsgate said, well, you know, we'll take domestic. And it was just boom, the world and did a bank loan and made a, you know, nine and a half million dollar movie, which you just can't get, you know, nine million out of international anymore on these movies. Did you shoot that? Where, where did that shoot? On a stage somewhere, Rob? Rosarita, the Titanic tank. Got it. Which is, is that in Mexico? Yeah, Baja. Yeah. Baja. Um, how, and how, I mean, obviously, another really exciting one in terms of Redford. So it was JC Chandler was right, like only really one actor, the whole movie. Yeah. 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 He really, you know, he did it. We thought the funniest thing was, is when he sent Neil and I the script, it was 30 pages long. And we we're like, the fuck is this? 
you know, is this even a movie? And yeah. uh, and at one point, actually, we had to have a script supervisor break it down to see if it would actually be a 90 minute film. You know, it was like, how would that translate? So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, it was just a really special film. And I think, yeah, that was that period in the market where you could still make these, you know, like Cassian and I always play this game of like, could you make it now? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, unless we had a twenty six million dollar budget. I don't think no chance. Did. Yeah, no chance. 20 million out of international, right? And um in 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 pre or in sales, right? It's mm -hmm. like it doesn't doesn't really exist anymore, you know. Yeah. I mean that with the the shift in the paradigm to to streaming, I think even more so like on the international side of streaming, right? right? They just haven't matured um in their markets. And so yeah, it's it's left everybody. You know, if you don't have that big U.S. theatrical to drift off of, yep, you know, we're all aggregating content. And, you know, where you used to be able to say, I'll get half million, million, two million out of Germany, you're like, just not there anymore, you know, right. uh, for most movies. Obviously, there's exceptions. Right. But. Well, this, this, it's a good segue, right? It's you know, could you make it now type type measuring of when you look at the market now, obviously streaming has, has changed everything. Yeah. What what is getting made now for you? I know you're you're literally in production on something right now. We were chatting about just before we hit record on this discussion. Yeah, the things you're working on now, would you have focused on those and made those pre-streaming changing the economics? Or again, when you can make a twenty six million dollar Tom Hardy movie, uh, I, I guess it's a it's a very different equation to run. It is. Look, I think the movies, the content, I I would still be attracted to the same content. It's just. You know, you used to be able to make these things, you know, the movie you'd make for 10, you're trying to figure out how to make for five, right? right. It's, it's like when we did Margin Call in 18 days, it was a shocking thing. People were like, you did that in 18 days? Today, you tell somebody you have an 18-day schedule, they're like, yeah, okay, solid. Yeah, they're not even yeah. bad enough. Um, yeah. 15 is the number where they start going, ooh, that's that's low, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, the days of 25, 30-day schedules are, I mean, they're very hard to come by in this market because there's just you know it's you either have to be you know that 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 one or two movies that like searchlight and those guys are are focusing on right or you know um or you know if you're if you're trying to model a film out based on what the market is right yeah. like removing the like well we'll sell it to amazon for 20 million dollars which isn't a business model right right so um it's unless a gamble. You, yeah it's a total yeah, gamble totally. and look if you've got the capital to do it great but i think for most of us we're trying to figure out how to make movies that price to market and but you know actors still need to be paid above the line didn't go down right. union rates continue to go up right it's like i always joke that we need a group therapy session right because everyone nobody seems to understand the needs of the other people involved in <laughs> correct um and uh and so yeah i mean you you know you're just always stretching and struggling and you know to to, to make any schedule on any budget work you know there's no there's no luxury of 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 more um yeah have you seen a, a i'm going through this now the recording of this is in march 2023 so you've got the the banking crisis going on you've got netflix again having had the stock issue last year and the streaming economics change and people realizing chasing subscriber growth for nothing other than quote unquote eyeball growth is not really a great business model and there's a ceiling to it. And so there's been this whole readjusting or reframing of the market. But I think the challenge is, like you said, 
there, there's no repricing of how, how you can make content. There are fixed costs here and those fixed costs are labor and above the line and the actual materials to, to make a project possible. Do you yeah. think there's going to be less product? And as you look back on your career over the last however many years, I mean, I remember some years of CAN where there's just such an unbelievable glutton of content. It feels like there's going to have to be a reduction of the amount of things that actually can get made. Unless again, there's some new finance product that gets introduced and people are willing to throw money at it for whether it's tax benefits or what have you, where they're not trying to really build a business out of it. But otherwise I have to imagine the amount of, the amount of volume has to come down. But I also could be totally wrong because I always wonder how are there this many things being made every year when you go to a market and you just see booth after booth of content you've never heard of. Totally, totally. And look, I think the the fascinating thing about the movie business is that there's still, there will always be an artistic side to it. And yes. you have people that by hook and by crook will figure out how to make their movie, right? I mean, I think that's been over the, over the past 30 years or whatever, since kind of, you know, if you go all the way back to like, you know, early Sundance, the rise of Miramax and like all of that, like the, the, anyone can make a movie now and they will. Right. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's like, it's not like a lot of business, you know, a lot of other industries where there's a, there, you know, like there's a, an, an entry door, like you got to build yourself up. Like if you want to make a movie and you have enough hustle, God damn it, you can get it done, right? Yeah. So I think for that reason, as much as there's a logic to saying let's make less and make or like make less bigger, there's just always going to be people out there making content and you know writing things and offering them to actors and you know I think the bigger problem that that we have as a business is like is how to get people's attention, right? Because this mm-hmm. is a choice and the beauty of blockbuster right, is that it gave you a finite number of choices. You went in, yeah. and it was like, what is available on this shelf, right? And that's what brick and mortar did, where, you know, it's now even me, if like, if I go on demand on my TV, and I just, you're just scrolling through, you know, pages of new releases, right? And it's like, well, how do you differentiate? Nobody cares about reviews anymore, because there's a million, you know, people yeah, out there. Everyone's a reviewer, everyone's a critic. And so, you know, and, and I think even, you know, winning Sundance or whatever, it doesn't have the same gravitas or meaning that it once did. And, right. you know, and then, you know, and I think, so it's, I think it's more, I, like, I don't think people will ever make less because you're not going to be able to tell that 23-year-old with a screenplay that, you know, there's no room at the table because he'll just build another table. That's what people right. do, right? Right. And, um so I think it's more, it's like, how, how do you, how do you find a market for your film? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny uh, not to, not to, inter- and not to cut in, but it's, it's a good, another good segue. So yeah, I've got a bunch of uh, younger staff members, younger team members and posed a question at the end of last year during our, our team offsite, which is, is film the most relevant medium anymore that, that it was right. You have things like a 24 who have found an incredible way to, to make their content so so relevant culturally socially social media wise etc but besides really that platform which is only a handful of movies a year that they really focus on with that megaphone that they have is film as cool and relevant as it is and was the way it was for you and i when we were getting out of school and building companies and building opportunities for ourselves it was remarkably relevant like sundance was 
is so cool. And project, you know, independent filmmakers were the most zeitgeisty thing. Whereas now, yeah, there's a, there's a handful of them, but obviously television has taken so much of that, uh, that energy and that relevancy and currency that film used to have, especially independent film. Uh, and obviously studio film is totally pivoted towards $200 million budgets based on IP that preexisted or, or really nothing. And so there's this vacuum that feels like it's left from what independent film used to be. A24 has done, you know, obviously had so off to just the incredible things that they do and the company that they run. But I'm so curious from your perspective, you, you, you use the phrase, you know, how do you get people's attention? To me, it's how can film even get people's attention again when euphoria or name insert amazing new piece of streaming correct correct that that is going to keep you living with those characters for so much longer and that to me is where it becomes another part of the equation of like okay what is that next who is that next filmmaker what is that next opportunity and it's still i I agree with you i don't think it's going away i don't think it's necessarily going to shrink in some outsized fashion because i agree again people i agree people will hustle and find ways to get things made that's this is this is not a uh there's not a, a series seven or a more medical license you need to go make an independent movie. That's and right. you deal with, you deal with a lot of different characters as a result of that barrier, not existing, That's but right. I'm, I'm curious to you, is it, is it as nearly as relevant as it, as it once was or the draw that initially brought you in? Yeah. And I think the answer is emphatically no. Right. I mean, you, you and I came up in the, you know, grew up in that era of like, again, like Sundance, you know, being this this thing right and yeah. like you know, goodwill hunting right yeah. i mean you know these two young guys wrote a movie and, blah, 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 and like you know we all read that in high school and we're like i want to be those guys you know yeah yeah uh, the, the romance of you know kevin smith making clerks on his credit cards right and like and it's kind of the, the problem I, I really think is the death of the theatrical experience mm-hmm. i mean obviously mm-hmm. age 24 to your point has proven that independent film can, you know, still yes that cultural re- relevance. But you know, I think the world has changed so much from you know, you know, yeah, when we were growing up, like in high school, even college, it was like, what do, what do you want to do on a Friday night? Like, okay, well, yeah. you know, what movies are playing? Right, that was a that was a topic of conversation that doesn't exist now. And I, and yeah. I think because there's so much, I think part of the you know the rise of television, um. Obviously, there's some really great stuff being made, but I also think going back to that comment about the paradox of choice, there's so much content that like, mm-hmm. when you get to something like, you know, with your girlfriend, your your spouse or what have you, when you're like, all right, we're going to watch 1923. Yeah. You now know, like, you don't have to keep having the same conversation. Oh, what are we going to watch tonight? What are we going to watch tonight? Right. It's like you can commit to something. Yes. Right. And, and, it, and it, you know, it checks off the next week, <laughs> you know, like, all right, what are we going to? What are we going to binge, right? Obviously, that's what House of Cards really changed. It's like also this not yes. necessarily having to wait every week to see something new. Um, and like, I, you know, I, at least for me, I, I found, and then it's like, you know, your friends are watching it. There's something to talk about where- Totally. And for movies, if you don't, you know, and, and you know, obviously he's he's no longer someone to to look up to, but Harvey and what they did at Miramax and, and then at the Weinstein Company- Right was they knew how to make films, you know, uh, culturally relevant. Right, yeah, I mean that was part of that marketing machine, and A twenty four is obviously taking that over. But yes, the rest of the content that's out there, like 
It's you're relying on, you know, I think it comes down to people who like movies, right? But that right. is it. That is no longer what it once was, I think. Um, it's it's a good segue to the streaming era, which I know you've also, outside of the the hustle independent producer model of putting projects together, you've made a number of movies directly with streamers, you know, over the last number of years. Do you speak to any specifically? I'm, I'm happy to, to, to go into any that you, you prefer, but I know you've worked, I believe Netflix, Amazon, and, and others um, over the last number of years. We have, although... I've never had a streamer buy one directly, to be honest with you. It's always mm. through mm. you know, uh, a vertical or, you know, a or what have you. And then they sell that SVOD window. Uh, or maybe we've... Well, yeah, it's funny. It's like, I, I did have one movie. And I won't say what it was, but uh, we had one film where, you know, this was in the early days of Amazon and they made a yeah. big offer on this film. And the filmmaker was like, there's no chance that my movie is going to premiere on it you know, on fucking Amazon. And <laughs> yeah. We ended up selling it for less money to a, you know, very classy, traditional, you know, uh, independent distribution company. And, um, and look, at that moment in time, I get where he was coming from, you know, the filmmaker, because it was like, yeah. you know, what is this Amazon thing. Whereas now, it wouldn't it's even one of the first stops. People would just yeah. be like, oh, yeah, great. You know, Amazon, let's do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, you know, it's changed. I think the hard thing with, you know, when it comes to the streamers and what it's done is that you have this, you know, their their entire PL is different than it than yeah. what it is was when it's it was not not it's not it's that's not a fair yeah, it's not a fair game at all. I mean, they're Amazon's making content to sell more toilet paper, right? It's a, it's a completely completely different business. Well, and even Netflix, though, right? Like they want subscribers, but the the P and L for each individual movie totally is different. Not what vertical entertainment is looking for, which is pure transactional, right? Right. You know, how much can I sell this window for, and how you know, how many DVDs or how many you know, you know, uh, direct downloads on Xfinity or or iTunes, right? It's like everyone else is playing this game of like I buy it for X and I yep. need to Y and. Yep. You know, Whereas, yeah, for the streamers, it's like, well, hopefully this, you know, makes our our guys happy, and we're gonna, act, you know, we we're, you know, amortizing across all these films, right? And so, I think that's where it's really made the way that we used to make films, where even on the international sales side, where it was like, all right, you had estimates of X, you know, you knew you could pre-sell some territories, you, you know, you, you know, get some equity or U.S. deal, and. You bank it with somebody like you know bond it and like away you go but it, again you're quantifying every territory sure. like everyone's sure. running a model on the value of the movie and again the streamers are just not approaching it that way right um and yeah. i think that's been the disconnect that we've all been trying to adjust to you know um and then you know and you've seen a massive contraction on the international side of the availability you know distributors in in, in territories and then obviously sure. what to pay so international, you know, again, unless you have that movie that's going to have that thousand screen theatrical release, right? They can, you know, and that typically has to be a genre movie. It's no longer dramas, right? I right. mean, you know, it's like I remember when we did Hate Ship Love Ship, which was a, you know, a movie based on an Alice Monroe poem. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, we sold the UK for seven hundred grand. I mean, 
In today's market, you wouldn't get 700 grand out of all of international for that movie. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's, it's also a good segue. I typically ask this question to, to, to most folks I chat with on here, which is in terms of getting things made today, what are you most excited about and what are you most worried about? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, I think what I'm most worried about is the, we no longer make new movie stars. Right. And so mm-hmm. independent side, we're reliant on, you know, there's like, sure. You've got the stars, but Tom Hardy, as much as I love Tom personally, and he's a pal, but like Tom's not going to come do some of these movies I'm doing. Right. He's, he's, he's got a different level at this point in his life, you know? And so we're looking for guys that, you know, um, can can get greenlit right and so but they're, they're we're just not making new ones right and so yeah. then i think and you see this all the time whether it was like the bruce willis era but it's like then these guys overexpose themselves because they're doing yep. too many movies and then the value's not there and then we look for the next guy and and it's just this tough paradigm so that what worries me is the availability of of people to actually come make content right who will attract the financing um and then you know I think that's the the other thing because yeah, and then everyone get, has TV shows now, right? And so then it's even their availability, and and so that's one of the, the paradigms that I think we still need to figure out. But you know, look, I mean, every movie is its own journey, right? Yeah. Don't experience yeah. it. Don't stress and chaos. And I think on every movie, I've made seventy some odd movies, and every time I'm like, I'm not, you know, Jesus, this is why do I do this? And then you see yeah. them. Then you see the movie and you're like, yeah, let's do it again, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's seduced and abandoned, right? Is the uh, oh, is that, right. That, that film constantly? It's it's yeah. very and it's very real. Like you just constantly get brought back into it. Yeah, you forget in, in terms of the one a.m. stress that you're like, oh my god, yeah. Yeah, and and so and then you go do it again. So, how about the thing you're excited about with it? I mean, maybe you're describing it, right? Is that there's the the constant wanting to get back on the horse. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You never know what, you know, look, you read a lot of bad scripts, as I'm sure you do, but every now and again, you find something and you see it in your head and, you know, and and it just, it's fun. It's like, you know, just everything's a startup. Every, you know, it's a new right. journey, new relationships. There's nothing routine or mundane about what we do, right? It's right. like, okay, this is going to have its own unique set of personalities, Um and and you know problems and victories and joys and man, it keeps it fresh and that's what keeps it exciting you just never know right and you, you hope that you know you make something great i always say to people when they're like oh that movie i saw that movie is a piece of shit and i was like you know you might be right but it took a hundred yeah. human beings really pouring their heart and soul working 18 hour days you know in months and months and months and months and months to make even a bad movie. So appreciate the humanity that went into even a bad movie. And then just really then be grateful when you see something that's fucking great. Yeah, because- no, you're 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 gonna you're gonna love this. I don't know if you've ever talked about this. I uh when I was in college, my uh my my thesis advisor had gone to UT Austin and had been very close with Link Ladder during the slacker and dazed and confused age. And they actually wrote a bit together on some of those early movies. And so he came to the school I was at out in Chicago and I got to go to this dinner. Um, he came into this screening series and I got to go to this dinner and I was the most pretentious yeah, college 
film kid ever like so into yeah like of course all the annoying things that you would say european cinema obsessively ingmar bergman obsessively and i asked him um it was some incredibly pretentious question about french new wave or bergman or something and he stopped me and he's and he's obviously so down to earth in the way he thinks about movies and the way he deals with people and the characters he writes he just said i've learned as much from every movie i've seen that isn't great as I have from every film and filmmaker that is great. And until you can come to understand that and appreciate it, you're not fully rounded yet in the way you look at film. And and I remember like being totally taken aback by this person that makes unbelievably exceptional pieces of content that right. he wasn't pretentious about it at all. Like it was realizing that a piece of shit is equally as difficult to make uh, as something that's exceptional. And there's things to learn from everything you watch and everything you experience and every person you meet and, it, it, like immediately it just clicked oh this is why this guy is so good at writing something like days to confuse where you have all these different characters who have a complete different uh back background or, or, or backstory coming together in such a real way it's yeah. it's so true yeah i mean we, we all have worked on plenty of bad pieces of content and uh you learn just as much from those and and you and come out of it with usually some great stories and relationships i mean it's it's correct uh, so, you know, that, and I think, look, that's, what's always exciting. You just, you never know. I mean, and, and um, yeah, that's what keeps you coming back. Thank you, dude. Thank you for, uh, for carving out the time. Appreciate it. And uh, we will catch back up soon. Absolutely, brother. Good to see you. Thanks, man. Cheers. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.